Support for this program comes from listeners like you. To find out more, visit us online at theschoolofchrist.org. Works by Love. This is part four of the series, and we're titling this The Testing of Your Faith. I feel like we are still just barely getting into what real biblical faith is all about. To get to that truth, we've had to do some tearing down and some dismantling and to engage in what I call positive disillusionment. Because the fact is that we've been misled to believe that faith is a kind of force that you can use to do one of two things, uh, whether it's, it's faith or whether you call it prayer or whether you call it prophetic proclamation or declaration or however you package the teaching. These wonderful biblical principles and truths have been distorted and have been misused and abused. And we have been taught that things such as faith and prayer and um, prophetic proclamation and even claiming the promises of, of God or or verbalizing or confessing the scriptures. That you can use these things to do one of two things, to either get you quickly out of whatever problem, difficulty, or circumstance you may be under right now, to either get you quickly out of that or to avoid all problems, difficulties, and circumstances in the future. That you can walk in divine health and never have a challenge with sickness or disease or accident or injury. That you can walk in divine prosperity and always have plenty of money in the bank and plenty of provision to do whatever you want and drive whatever you want and live wherever you want. That you can have success according to the way the world measures success, that you can be a winner and that you can be an ultra ultra achiever in life. And in short, you can have all of the material prosperity and wealth and success according to the world's definition of success, if only you are able to tap into the right faith formula or pray the right prayer, or confess the correct Bible promises. And the challenge with all of these things is that in the real world that you and I live in, these things do not work. They don't work. We believe, and I I have to clarify this every time, we believe in divine healing. We believe that God answers prayer. We believe that God heals people today. I believe in miracles. I believe in supernatural provision for our needs. 
I believe in divine intervention, that God does save and heal and deliver us from various temptations and tests and trials and difficulties and problems and circumstances. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand me to think that I am saying uh, healing is not for today. Provision, God's provision is not for today. And that uh, somehow poverty is equal to spirituality. Uh, that pain and suffering in your body is suffering for Jesus. Uh, that is not true. That's not scriptural. That's not believable. And that is not what I am teaching. What I am, what I am saying is that we have been misled to believe that if you're not walking in total victory, if you're not walking in absolute perfect divine health, if you have any kind of challenge financially, then it's your fault because you don't have enough faith or because you're not exercising your faith or because you just don't have what it takes, spiritually speaking, to create these uh, th this wonderful abundance in your life. That is not uh, scriptural as well. So somewhere in the middle of two extremes, we find real biblical faith. And um, one of the aspects of real biblical faith is that faith is tested. Faith is tested. And that's what we'll discuss and, and discover this evening in part four, the testing of your faith. For those of you that have hung in uh, with me up to this point, you know, some have dropped off from the teaching. Why is that? Well, because they were disillusioned in a negative way. They didn't take that disillusionment and allow themselves to be challenged and to be rid of their illusions in order to embrace the truth. Instead, they became offended it, it um, contradicted, this teaching contradicted uh, what they have come to believe. And I'm suggesting to you that the popular opinion, the popular teaching of faith is a distortion of reality, and it only sets people up for disappointment and it does not work in the real world. In the real world, we have difficulties, we have challenges, we have problems. And faith is here not to eliminate those problems, but to eliminate all doubt concerning God's love for us. So that's what we will continue to expand upon in this teaching, and especially with um, this message this evening. First, I want to recap what we talked about last time. We'll do that first um, and just hit the, the main ideas, the main points of part three, looking unto Jesus. I want to do that because there were some tremendous revelations and distinctions that I shared with you last time. And if you miss those, I want you to go back and listen to the message, but in the meanwhile, we can certainly hit the highlights of this because I think uh, that really 
based on the feedback I received, I think it really spoke to a lot of people and it helped to bring clarity and comfort to people in these situations um, where they are being tested in their faith. So what a, what a relief it is, what an encouragement to know that even Jesus, the Son of God, was tested in his faith. So we can look to Jesus and learn everything we need to learn about faith working by love. So we'll do a quick recap and then go into the testing of your faith, the reward of endurance, the testing of your faith, and then submit and resist. And this is the the delicate balance between two extremes of how we exercise faith working by love, not faith working by arrogance, not faith working by entitlement, not faith working by name it and claim it, not faith working according to the way the preachers on television say that faith works, but faith working by love as we consider what real biblical faith is all about. Again, redefining what real biblical faith is, we return to our simple definition. And I have made a change, a minor edit here, so that we are uh, completely in agreement on what real biblical faith is. And the, the simple definition we've come up with based on Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So based on that scripture, we have simplified real biblical faith to mean this. Faith is trusting that God is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. That's what faith is. So by that, we mean faith is not a formula. Faith is not just some force out there by itself that you use uh, to manipulate circumstances to your desires, to get what you want from God, and, and force God to do things the way you want them to do. It's actually the opposite, in fact. But isn't it interesting how the carnal mind and the religious spirit will always take things like faith and prayer and even the promises of God in Scripture and try to rest them to their own destructions, to, to twist things and make it self-centered instead of Christ-centered. And that's exactly why we must redefine real biblical faith. Because what happens is people try to approach faith the way that they have been told faith works and faith operates. They don't get the answer. They don't get the result they were looking for. And then they become disappointed and they become discouraged and they become anxious and upset. And many of them turn their frustration and their disappointment and take it out on the Lord. They should, in my view, be taking out their disappointment and 
frustration upon the preachers and teachers and the charlatans who sell this false gospel of materialism and prosperity and success and divine health that takes things to the extreme. And in the actual um, world, it, it, um, it does not work. It does not, if it doesn't work for everyone, uh, then it's, it doesn't work. The fact that it works for a few um, is not a testimony to their great faith as much as it is a testimony to God's wonderful grace and mercy. But anytime we take a formula and we try to work the formula or the equation outside of relationship, then we are only going through the motions of religion. And it's the same thing. I've made this comparison before with spiritual warfare. God does not give us a technique for spiritual warfare. That if you pray these prayers and if you quote these Bible verses and if you do these certain things, then victory over the devil is guaranteed. What God does is he reveals his son to us as victory. And when we have the man, we don't need a method. And it's the same thing with real biblical faith. When our faith is relationship-based, then faith is about trust. When faith is based on a force outside of relationship, as if we can take this force called faith and manifest success or health or wealth, then you are operating in the realm of religion. It's trying to use God or use the words of God to get what you want. And that is, apart from relationship, that is not faith working by love, as I said as we saw last time, it's actually the opposite. Prayer is not about getting what I want. It's about getting what God wants and surrendering to what God wants. But a lot of people will take prayer and will take faith and they'll try to apply it to what they want and get God to surrender to them. Do you see the difference? between me using prayer and faith to say, Lord, I trust that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you say you will do in the time and in the manner and in the season of your choosing. And so I surrender my will to your will, your will be done. The difference between that versus using faith and prayer to tell God what I want And expecting for God to surrender himself to me and to my will. I hope you can, when we put it in those terms, I hope you can clearly see the vast difference. One is Christ-centered and the other is self-centered. So faith is trusting that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. So as we look to Jesus, we saw last time in Hebrews 11, and we'll read some of that again this time, we made a few points, and they are as follows. Faith 
or trust is is a a I like that word better than believe uh, because uh, believe what do you believe tends to uh, be a loaded religious word talking about doctrines and beliefs and opinions and we're not talking about religion or theology right now we're talking about faith in the context of a relationship faith working by love that makes it a relationship concept and in that relationship in that context we're talking about faith simply as trust I believe God, meaning I trust God. I believe he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And this faith and trust grows as we look to Jesus as the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. What a relief it is that we don't have to look to ourselves to originate or to perfect our faith. Because all of us are weak in faith in some areas. You may be strong in faith in some, but many of us are weak in our faith in most areas. But we don't have to look to ourselves and be discouraged with our faith, our lack of faith. Nor should we look to ourselves and be encouraged by what great faith we have. Instead, we don't look at ourselves at all. We look to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. It's the kind of faith that comes from Jesus. That's the faith that works by love. Just like God is love and love comes from God, it doesn't originate with us. In the same way, faith does not originate with us. Faith is the gift of God. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. And faith grows as we look to Jesus, not to ourselves, not to one another, comparing ourselves with one another, not to our circumstances, which will always discourage us, but looking to Jesus, the author and finisher, or perfecter of our faith. So in the garden, we saw that Jesus had his faith tested. What does it mean? It means he had to trust that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do. He had to commit himself wholeheartedly to the will of God, even though Jesus acknowledged, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus had his faith tested. He could have very easily said, Father, let this cup pass from me. I can't do it. He could have called for more than 12 legions of angels to deliver him, but he didn't do it. And when Peter and and the other disciples pulled their weapons and wanted to fight on the one hand and flee on the other hand, Jesus simply committed himself to the will of God and said, Shall I not drink of the cup that my father has given me? Once it became clear 
that there was no other way. Jesus submitted to to the will of his Father. He embraced the cross, it says, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. So that's a wonderful example for us to look at and to learn everything we need to know about faith working by love. You can't trust God unless you love God. Faith works by love. If you love God, then trust is able to flourish, just as it is in any other relationship. When the relationship is good, when love is there, trust is there. When the relationship is bad, trust usually is not that high. So Jesus, in the garden, had his faith tested, and he passed the test. On the other hand, look at the disciples. Their faith was tested as well, and Jesus says, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And what is the one temptation we said? All temptation is, is an effort to get you to doubt the greatness and goodness of God, to doubt that God is who he says he is, to doubt that God will do what he says he will do. Jesus believed his Father. He trusted himself to the will of his Father, even though it was not in perfect alignment with his will. And it rarely is that it, it, it is seldom the case that God's will is in perfect alignment with our will. We know what we want, but what does God want? And then there is that tug of war so very often. And so we either use prayer to surrender ourselves to God's will or we use prayer to get God to surrender to our will. And in case you haven't learned by now, God never surrenders to us. (laughs) You can pray. You can confess it. You can speak the promises. You can do whatever you want to do, but you're not going to manipulate God and get him to surrender himself to you. What you can do and, and what prayer and aligning yourself with the, the word of God is intended to do is to align you and to collaborate yourself with the Lord, not to fight him, but to work with him, to cooperate with him. And we see Jesus completely surrendered to the will of God. We see the disciples fighting the will of God every step of the way and then fleeing from the will of God when fighting it when fighting it proved to be fruitless. <laughs> so we all will have our faith tested. The next level of faith we said previous, previously is not about eliminating all your problems. Now that's nice. When faith eliminates your problems, when you get the answer, uh, the healing comes, the miraculous provision comes through, uh, the person you've been praying for is saved or healed or delivered, wonderful. We get answers to prayer all the time. It's easy to rejoice. It's easy to have faith. 
when you're getting the answers to the things that you're praying for. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about when you pray and pray and pray and the problem persists. And that's where we have the opportunity to go to the next level of faith. And this next level of faith, and and, I mean, let's be honest, the, the first, my first approach to a problem is to get rid of it. How many of you enjoy problems? How many of you like difficulties? Well, I don't. How many of you, the first inclination, the first reaction when presented with a problem is to solve it or to eliminate it as quickly as possible? Absolutely. Of course. And very often we are able to eliminate those problems through prayer, through intercession through claiming the promises of the Lord and and speaking uh, God's word over that situation. I'm not doubting that. I experience that all the time. It gives us great reason to rejoice and to give thanks to the Lord and builds our testimony of what God has done for us. I'm talking about the next level of faith, that you experience when those problems don't go away. It's nice when the problems are eliminated. But faith is not about eliminating all the problems. It's about eliminating all the doubts. Faith may or may not eliminate all the problems. But the real purpose of faith is to eliminate all doubt. All doubt about what? All doubt about God's love. All doubt about who God is and what God will do. Eliminating, eliminating all doubt. And if you think about it again, the main temptation, regardless of the situation, is to get you to doubt that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do. And one of the first areas where you run into that problem is doubting God's love for you. Well, if God loves me, why does he allow me to suffer? If God loves me, why doesn't he heal me? If God loves me, why doesn't he prosper me? If God loves me, why am I in this difficulty in this circumstance? If God loves me, why did he take my loved one away from me? We always blame the Lord, it seems like, especially in death, as if God took somebody. Not that they died, but that God took them. As if God just reached down and and grabbed them and jerked them away. And uh, just to, to create grief and sadness in your life for some unknown reason. The whole way that we view life and death and the way we hold God responsible for certain things uh, helps to hinder our ability to trust in his love. I never speak of God taking someone. Death took them and they are with the Lord. 
if they are uh, if they're believers. But God's not the the one who steals, kills, and destroys. He's not a murderer from the beginning. He is not Abaddon the destroyer. Death is is part of the world that we live in, but death is an enemy. It's an enemy that Jesus overcame. It's an enemy that has been defeated. It's an enemy that has not yet been destroyed, but one day it will be destroyed, and God will will resurrect and bring back to life all who have died. And how do I know that? Because of faith, because of trust. Trust is is not about eliminating death, but trust is about believing that God is greater than death and that all who die will one day live again. That's the difference. I can't use faith to eliminate death, but I can use faith to bring me peace in the present because I have hope for the future that God is more powerful than death, and that one day death will be defeated. And then it will be eliminated, just not here in this age. So faith is about eliminating all doubt about God's love, about who he is and what he said he will do. Whether the problems are eliminated or not, he is with me always, even in the midst of my problems. And the same holds true for you as well. The main point that I wanted to reemphasize You pray until you either get the answer you want or you acquiesce to the answer you get. And even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, this was his approach, and he prayed three times. Take it away, take it away, take it away, but not my will, your will be done. And he, he actually did not get the answer that he wanted. He wanted... God, to take the cup away, to let this hour pass from him. All things are possible for you, Lord. And if it is possible, if there's some other way, you can do anything. He prayed the prayer of faith, but listen, the prayer of faith did not give him the answer that he wanted, which was to avoid the cross. But the prayer of faith empowered him. An angel from heaven strengthened him to do what? To acquiesce to the answer he got, even though it wasn't the answer he wanted. That's a powerful, powerful distinction. You pray and you pray, you ask, you seek, and you knock, and you go to the Lord once, twice, three times, however many times it takes, until you either get the answer that you want or you acquiesce to the answer you get. And the answer Jesus got was, there is no other way but this way. And then Jesus said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done I've prayed, this is the cup that my father wants me to drink, and I'm going to drink it. No need to draw your swords, gentlemen. No need to fight, no need to resist. This is the way it has to be, and this is the way it's going to be. And he acquiesced. He surrendered to the answer that he got. So you pray 
until you either get the answer you want or you acquiesce to the answer that you get. And you can see it in people just as clearly when they either get the answer that they want or they acquiesce to the answer that they get. I see this especially in the case with, with people who have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. I keep thinking about, uh, thinking about my friend. Love Jesus more than anybody I know. Believed God that he, that he could be healed. Never gave up on the idea of healing. But he acquiesced to the fact that the healing didn't come. And he was just as prepared to go and be with Jesus as he was to get up out of his bed and walk. And you can see it in the peace that fills people. Even though they have the pain, they also have the peace. I know we want to eliminate all pain, eliminate all problems, and then we think we'll have peace. I'm talking about the next level of faith where the pain is there, but so is the peace. The need is still there, but so is the grace. The problem is still there, but so is the presence of the Lord in the midst of the problem. So you pray until you either get the answer you want or you acquiesce to the answer you get. The prayer of faith is not about getting what I want. It's about surrendering to what God wants. The truth is that he is with us even in the darkness. Psalm 23, 4, that wonderful shepherd's psalm, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley doesn't go away. The shadow doesn't go away. The death doesn't go away. The evil doesn't go away, so long as we are in this world and in this age. But here's something else that also doesn't go away. The Lord doesn't go away. You are with me, David says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They don't eliminate the shadow. They don't eliminate the valley. They don't eliminate the darkness. They don't eliminate the death. They don't eliminate the evil. Not in this age. Our hope and our expectation in the age to come is for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The devil is bound so that he can deceive the nations no more. Death is defeated. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. For the former things have passed away, and behold, I make all things new. That's in the age to come. I'm talking about the age that we live in now, my friend. I'm talking about the real world that you and I go out and experience every single day. The outward man is perishing, Paul says, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. When I look at the outward man, all I see is death and destruction and deterioration. When I look at the inward man, I see strength and power. 
eternal life. And the promise that this body that currently groans and travails in pain will one day be redeemed. Our bodies will be glorified and all of us will experience healing in a new body. But not in this age. In this age, we pray for healing. In this age, we pray for miracles. In this age, we pray for deliverance. But even if we don't receive those things right now and in in the time and season that we want, He is with us. And so we fear no evil. We fear no valley of the shadow of death because His presence is with us in the midst of our problems. And so we now come to Hebrews chapter 10 as we discuss the reward of endurance. The reward of endurance, because it requires endurance. One of the problems, one of the challenges of the age that we live in is everybody wants it now. We want it now. We needed it yesterday and we want it today, right now. We want to pray one time and get the healing. Pray one time and get the financial blessing. Pray one time and get the success. Pray one time and get the breakthrough. But scripture teaches because we live in a world and and we are in a war, everything doesn't come to us instantaneously. And so there is the need for endurance. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now, he is saying that just before the great faith chapter of Hebrews 11, and the reason that faith chapter is is there is because he is using these people of faith as examples of people who did not cast away their confidence, but they had endurance and they did God's will. They submitted to the will of the Lord, even though they didn't always understand it, so that they would receive the promise. And even then it says that they obtained a good testimony through faith, but many of them did not receive the promise in their lifetime. That takes us to Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking, there's that word endurance again, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the reward of endurance, the preamble, as I said, to that great faith chapter in Hebrews 11, 
is a it's uh, this whole thing is a simple encouragement to Jewish Christians who were tempted because of persecution to renounce Jesus and go back to Judaism. And in that case, Paul says that is to cast away your confidence or your trust or your belief or your faith, your relationship with Jesus, to throw it away and fall back into religion, the religion of Judaism. So real biblical faith works by love so we can endure endurance. So long as we recognize that we are in a marathon, not a sprint. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, and it is not a 30-yard dash. It is a marathon. It is a journey of a lifetime. And over the course of this race of a lifetime, problems will come and problems will go. But love never fails. The only way for you to fail is if you give up. If you refuse to run the race, or if you drop out of the race before you have finished it, and that's why scripture says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Looking unto Jesus. Why does that work? Because as we look to Jesus, we see the example of faith working by love, and love never fails. That's why faith works by love. That's how faith moves mountains, because love never fails. Love doesn't quit. Love doesn't give up. Love is not lazy, but love does whatever it has to do. And because of that, we receive the promise one way or the other. Either I get it, like I said before, either I get the victory over the thing that I'm praying against or I get the victory over myself. Either I get that thing to surrender or I surrender myself. Not to the thing, I surrender myself to the Lord and to his will. Now, if faith, according to the popular understanding of faith, always meant fast answers and instant solutions to your problems, then there would be no need to test your faith. There would be no need for patience. There would be no need for endurance. But real biblical faith requires patient endurance precisely because it is tested in the real world that resists God's will. We live in a world where it is a battle. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. The way is difficult and narrow. It's beset with obstacles you have religious people and religious spirits trying to distract you and hinder you from the simplicity of Christ. And in some cases, you have religious teachers leading you to believe that if you have enough faith, you can either avoid problems 
or eliminate them quickly. This is not what the book of Hebrews is teaching us, and it's not what Jesus taught. And it's not what the early Christians taught, and it's not what the early Christians believed. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 14, and verse 22, it talks about Paul. It's either Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas. But it says that they went about strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Exhorting them, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And here's what they said. Here was their encouragement. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> Acts 14.22 When is the last time you heard that taught or preached or even read or referenced in a word of faith church or a prosperity teaching or a televangelist program on television or a radio? There's no magic prayers, no, no faith formulas that will make your problems magically disappear. In fact, Scripture says we must run the race with endurance. We have to overcome obstacles, deal with problems, deal with doubts and discouragement. Just as Jesus did, and yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So we're going to talk about how to navigate the testing of our faith next. But first, this whole, this whole teaching up to this point is correcting misunderstandings and setting new expectations. And the expectation is not that we can achieve the acme of spirituality and somehow evolve beyond the reach of all problems, but rather with endurance and by fixing our eyes upon Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the same way, your deliverance, your promise is on the way, but I can't say when or where because the time or, and the seasons are not for us to know. What we can be assured of is that we must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. And it's interesting that the same people who believe in divine health and divine prosperity and divine success, most of them also believe that there is no tribulation that we will have to endure or go through. They ignore all of the verses, all the scriptural truth about tribulation and suffering. And 
And so this hardly sounds like something that would strengthen the souls of any disciples or Christians or believers today. Acts 14.22 sounds like the sort of thing that if you went and preached this, they would not ask you to come back because they find it discouraging. It challenges their concept of reality. They want to believe that you enter the kingdom of God on a red carpet. Instead, the reality is that we enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. Now, why is that? And that brings us to the testing of your faith in James 1-2. Let's read that. James 1-2. Hebrews comes right after James. Or I'm sorry, James comes right after Hebrews, I should say. It says, my brethren, James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren... Get all upset when you fall into various trials. No, that's not what it says at all. It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. See, I'm not saying that that the reality of this is such that you should be frightened and discouraged and upset and depressed at the fact that you are going to experience tribulation and difficulties in this world. Scripture says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Why? Because you can't trust God on the one hand and then find fault with God on the other. That's being double-minded. So if we trust God, we have to submit to his will. So he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We're talking about this because there is a storm coming to test your faith to see what it is made of. If it is based on man or if it is based on God, if it's based on word of faith and some kind of crazy religious teaching, or if it is real biblical faith based on relationship, faith working by love. Love will weather the storm. Legalism will not. Faith working by love will survive the storm that is coming. Faith working by feelings and working by formulas will not survive the storm that is coming. I say storm coming. You may be in a storm right now. 
Well, Scripture says, don't give up, don't lose hope, don't be discouraged. Instead, be joyful. So we've talked about the two kinds of approaches to life's difficulties, and one is passive acceptance. We just accept everything that happens, believing that it must be God's will. If you're sick, if you're poor, if you are having a hard time, if you're homeless, uh, if you're defeated, it must be God's will for you, or it must be some problem with you. If your faith is passive acceptance of whatever, of whatever happens, then you, you are just a sitting duck. You will be blown away when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is where we attribute everything to God's sovereignty or God's providence or God's will when actually there are, as we've pointed out previously, more than one will in the earth. There's the will of God, the will of man, and the will of your enemy, your adversary. So when something happens, it's not always and necessarily God's will that it happened. Sometimes it is the enemy that came to steal, kill, and destroy. Sometimes it is man in disobedience to the Lord. And that's why we pray daily for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Precisely because his will is not being always is not always being done on earth as it is in heaven. So we, we can't just accept everything that happens. On the other hand, if your faith is based on health and wealth, never getting sick, never uh, having any financial challenges, never having any problems or difficulties that you have to work through and pray through, then you'll be blown away when you experience real suffering and real disillusionment and real disappointment. When heaven seems silent, Again, it's easy to have faith when things are going the way you want them to go. I'm talking to people who have already experienced the disappointment of unanswered prayer. And where do we go from here? Where do we go from there? Well, real biblical faith is grounded in reality. We live in a world that is contrary to the will of God. And that's all the more reason why we pray daily. We either pray to change the thing or we pray to change ourselves to acquiesce to the will of God. Now, someone made a comment last time that they, they were afraid that God was testing them and that they wouldn't pass the test. So let me clear that up with James Again, in, in uh, James chapter 1, a few verses down, verses 12 through 14. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. See how faith and love are working together? But let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. A couple, so God isn't the one testing you, my friend. Life 
is testing you, not God. Just the fact that you're here in this world is a test. Test, test, the test of your faith. And what again, what is the test of your faith? It is whether or not you will, you will and you can trust that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do even when you are surrounded by circumstances that suggest otherwise. Now, the word for temptation, test, and trial is all the same word in the Greek, so you can use them interchangeably. Uh, Blesses the man who endures temptation, testings, and trials. He's talking about the same thing as before. The testing of your faith produces patience. Count it all joy. And if you lack wisdom and you don't understand what's going on, it says, then ask God. And he will give you the wisdom to deal with it. Not only that, he'll give you grace. He'll give you strength to deal with whatever you need to deal with. But God isn't the one testing you. He is the one supporting you. Life is testing you. The other observation here is that each one is tempted or tested or tried when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Again, we said that temptation is basically trying to get you to doubt that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do, uh, stated differently. It's getting you to doubt the greatness and goodness of God. So temptation, you're tempted when you are, you're tempted to doubt God when you are drawn away by your own desires. You could just as easily say, drawn away by your own will and enticed to believe that you know better, that your will is preferable to God's will, that your way is preferable to God's way, that your wisdom is preferable to God's wisdom. Isn't that what Adam and Eve, isn't that how they justified and rationalized their decision in the Garden of Eden? They were tempted when they were drawn away by their own desires and enticed. Their own desires, their own will. So temptation is not all about uh, some some, uh, sexual temptation or some temptation with alcohol or drugs or food. It is essentially being drawn away by the delusion that you know better than God knows. You're drawn away by your own will. Believing your will is superior. And it's enticing to think that. And to try and use prayer to get God to do what you want done. Thinking you know better than he knows. And so that's a temptation as well. Now, if you don't understand what's going on, Scripture says, ask for wisdom and God will make it known to you. So the final section, submit and resist, and this is in 1 Peter chapter 5. So when we are surrendering to the will of God, that is an act of faith. But it is not a passive surrender where we just do nothing and we call that surrender. 
It is active submission, active surrender, as well as resisting what needs to be resisted. The example is 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the trust that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do. That's how you resist the devil. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's that's the real world. The real world is we have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, an adversary the devil walking around like a roaring lion. So we do want to submit to the Lord, but we also want to resist the enemy of our souls. So real biblical faith is the perfect blend, the healthy balance of submission and resistance, of surrendering to God and standing against evil. It's both. The key to submission to God is humility. I talked about that in the verse before. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And that is the level of humility lacking in the word of faith teaching. It teaches you to be arrogant, to go boldly before the throne of grace and demand and confess and remind God as if he needs reminding of what his word says. And they mistake boldness for arrogance, or at least it comes across that way. And so they lack the humility to submit to God. They want it right now. They want to get out of their problem as fast as humanly possible and avoid all problems in the future. There's no humility, no surrender to God and to the time and season that are that is in his hands. Well, the other side of that is resisting the enemy. You want to submit to God and you also want to resist the enemy. Steadfastly in the faith. And that's what is lacking in the passive acceptance of God's providence or God's sovereignty. That if some disaster is happening in the world, God allowed it, so we just have to put up with it. No, we resist the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We intercede for those who are being killed and destroyed. And we pray against evil in this earth. God has given us authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall by any means harm us or at least do any permanent damage to us. (laughs) But it is a battle with a lion walking around trying to find people that he can devour. 
So we resist him, it says, steadfast in the faith, trusting that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do. And if it doesn't happen in the time and in the season and in the manner of our choosing, we don't doubt God's love. We just continue to resist steadfast in the faith and we continue to submit in all humility to God, trusting in his love no matter how long it takes. Bear in mind, this does not say that God causes the suffering. It's just part of living in the world. In the world, you will have tribulations and tests and temptations of your faith and trials. God doesn't cause it. It's part of the world that we live in. But it also does not say that God always removes the suffering on demand. Notice the words, in due time, and after you have suffered a while, it says. Being steadfast in the faith and being running the race with endurance is a marathon. It's a battle. It's not a blank check. It's not a magic wand. So the best advice is to settle down. Strap yourself in and get ready for a journey. And what what is the purpose of that and how, how does that help you? It builds your faith. It increases your faith, your confidence, your trust as you take things one day at a time. And also keep in mind, 1 Corinthians 10.13, that no temptation or test or trial, listen, even if it seems so overwhelming, you don't know how you're going to survive it. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will, always, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Again, not taking away the thing, but giving you a way of escape so that you can bear the thing. The thing may not disappear, But you can bear the thing, and you can have joy in the thing, and you can trust God in the thing, whether the thing goes away or whether the thing persists. One way or the other, it's going away from here. It's just a question of the time and the season, and you bearing, believing, hoping, and enduring all things through unfailing love. Real biblical faith that works by love simultaneously surrenders to God and resists the enemy. Of course, as I said, our preference is to eliminate problems. And that's your first reaction to anything, to eliminate it. Jesus prayed for the cup to pass from him Paul prayed for the thorn to be removed. But when heaven seems silent and the time seems long, 
faith working by love fuels our trust that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. We may not receive instant answers, but patient endurance is how we ultimately obtain the promises. If you'd like to get additional teachings, audio recordings, books, and other Christ-centered resources to help you grow spiritually, visit us online at theschoolofchrist.org.